So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone around the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, and he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. We are in our Book of Acts series, the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church, and I've entitled the sermon, Wake Up to Freedom, Wake Up to Freedom. Throughout Acts, we've seen uh, this movement of people. The church has continually uh, been persecuted. And um, whether it's the imprisonment of Peter and John earlier in Acts, we saw, or the stoning of Stephen, um, the great persecution that Saul brought upon the church. Um, but in fact, Jesus and his followers have been persecuted ever since um, even the birth of Jesus himself, if you remember in the Gospels that Herod the Great sought the death of Jesus because he felt threatened by the prophecy of a Messiah being born in Bethlehem that would be the king of the Jews. So Herod actually committed infanticide um, throughout Judea in order to get rid of Jesus. So there's been a lot of persecution um, uh, for Jesus and the people of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. But in the midst of persecution, however, the church continues to flourish and acts. The church continues to grow. The church continues to have people added to their numbers. More people are brought to the faith and more are being baptized, baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized by water, and the way of Jesus has spread beyond Jerusalem, even into Samaria, and even as far as Antioch in the north. Not only uh, was the reach of the gospel in Acts spreading geographically, but the gospel has been expanding uh, to reach the Gentiles as well. 
as we uh, talked about last week. And what we see in Acts that as the Holy Spirit is moving the gospel of Jesus outward, 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 expanding geographically and expanding beyond cultural and ethnic boundaries, we are given stories of conversion and transformations, right? The, the Holy Spirit and the gospel is challenging the norms, challenging the customs, challenging the traditions, the religion of, uh, of people. And, and these, this challenge is working in the hearts of people. And we see dramatic stories of individuals who are converted um, and experiencing transformation. And we should make a note of this, that when the Holy Spirit is moving, or as um, a church that is spirit-infused, one of the markers is transformation, amen? Real-life transformation that is happening in the hearts and souls of people who follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. That's what the Christian community is about, that we're ex moving with the Spirit, moving with God, moving as disciples of Jesus Christ, and that's changing hearts. Whether that's the, our own hearts receiving the word, um, our, the heart of the community receiving the word and changing, or the hearts of people that we're loving and serving and affecting in the name of Jesus, transformation. And my, my challenge to us, my question uh, for you to ask at home is, if it's been a long time since you've felt the fire, if it's been a long time since you've experienced great change in your life, if you've experienced a transformation in your soul, in your heart, then you got to ask the question, how am I doing with God? How am I doing with Jesus? Where is the Holy Spirit in my life? And lift up those questions to God in prayer. Amen. Um, so the Holy Spirit is moving outward. The gospel of Jesus Christ is expanding geographically and culturally. And we're given these stories of conversion and transformation. As the Spirit is pushing against what is possible and what is normative, the hearts of individuals are confronted. Individuals can either resist and continue in a life of violence, despair, blindness, and death, or turn and receive a new life of love, of power, real power that God gives, and of hope and of peace. So some of these stories include um, in Acts chapter 8, we heard about the Ethiopian eunuch who received Jesus as Messiah and ended up returning to Africa, a new man. We read about Saul on the road to Damascus being stopped in his tracks literally by Jesus's blinding truth and completely turning his life trajectory around. We are introduced to Cornelius, uh, a Roman who was a God-fearer and his entire household ended up being anointed and baptized by the Holy Spirit and converting to Christianity after meeting Peter, um, Peter who gave them um, the missing piece, the one piece of the gospel that they were needing. And finally, Peter himself, even as a Jesus follower, even as a disciple, had his own conversion-like experience 
in chapter 10 as God in a vision commands him to kill and eat, giving him a more expansive view of the kingdom of God that, that pushed, um, pushed Peter outside of his uh, cultural and ethnic Jewish paradigms um, and uh, challenged him about the inclusion of Gentiles into the story. Um, of God's people and who are God's people, that God doesn't show favoritism. Um, so amazing work is being done in the lives of, in, of individuals throughout Acts, and we see this. Um, so even as there's persecution, even as there's oppression, um, the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, continues to move powerfully, and disciples of Christ flourish and grow. So in this chapter, as we hit chapter 12, we are introduced to another Herod, not the Herod that was seeking to kill Jesus um, in the Gospels, but Herod, um, Herod Agrippa I. So Herod, uh, the title Herod, or the name Herod is kind of a title, um, kind of like Caesar or Pharaoh um, of a general uh, ruler. And uh, Herod was the name for a family dynasty of Roman-appointed kings of Judea. So they were literally king of the Jews, uh, but they were placed, they were Romans, placed um, into those positions. And one family ruled as Herod. And so in the Bible, you may get confused because you see Herod, didn't he die? And you see Herod again, you see Herod again. And actually there's five or six or seven Herods, and maybe I'll put a list up here. Um, with the different Herods. Uh, but right now we're dealing with Herod Agrippa uh, I, who's actually the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who persecuted Jesus um, and tried to kill him when he was a baby. Um, Herod Agrippa I here in Acts 12 is the grandson. And um, ironically, Herod the Great actually killed Herod Agrippa's, murdered Herod Agrippa's mother and father and so this family has a lot of drama they should make a netflix film about it sometime or a next netflix series because full of drama and they were bad men like herod the herods were bad men they killed and executed um herod the great in fact had many 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 wives something like nine wives and he killed several of his wives um his own son um and um this herod Herod Agrippa I actually um, was a great persecutor of the Christian church. And um, as we see here, um, begins to ante up or kind of raise the intensity of the persecution of the church um, to arresting and executing leaders, um, apostles in the church. Um, but what, what we see here um, with Herod Agrippa um, what we know of Herod Agrippa is that Herod Agrippa was friends with Caligula, uh, the emperor, uh, the Roman emperor, the Caesar at the time. Um, but he also was loved by the Jews, loved by the Jews. And why was he loved by the Jews? He was loved by the Jews because he actually had an affinity for Judaism. He wanted to uh, follow the practices of the Jews. He wanted to... Um, worship like the Jews and and in fact he himself was circumcised um, and so he had favor of the Jews and wanting to curry uh, 
favor, more favor with the Jews, he began persecuting the Christians. And it says that he arrests um, some Christians that belong to the church, um, intending to persecute him. And verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. He actually kills one of the original 12, James. Um, if you remember, James uh, was one of two disciples of Jesus Christ, the original 12, who were named James. You have James, um, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, and you have James, the son of Alphaeus. So not only are there many Herods, there are many Jameses. There's at least three James, and in this chapter itself, uh, we have two James names. So uh, we'll get to that more, but this is James, brother of John, sons of thunder, if you remember, sons of thunder. Um, so James, uh, brother of John, is arrested by Herod and executed. He's put to death by the sword. Um, and then it says that when he saw that this was may, met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He saw that the Jews loved and approved of him executing James, an apostle of Jesus. And so his intention was to do more. Oh, this is, this is working out great for me. It's making me light among the Jews even more. Um, so he, uh, he uh, seizes Peter and his intention is to kill Peter, execute Peter, just like he did James. But uh, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread, which is um, the Passover. And so knowing in the Jewish, in Jewish law, it was illegal to uh, try and execute someone during the Passover. So even Herod knew that it was right not to, to wait uh, for the public trial until after Passover. So he waited to try Peter uh, until after the Passover. Um, and the irony is that Jesus himself was crucified, tried and crucified on the Passover. So, whoa, like that that's intense. But this is why Peter was kept in prison. And we're told at the top of chapter 12, again, that he was guarded by four squads. Um, and each squad, Roman squad, um, included four soldiers each. So four squads of four. And that the way that they did it, and the, what we read as Peter's in prison, is two of the soldiers were chained to the prisoner, right? So that th there's no way that this prisoner would get away. And the two other soldiers stand guard into the front and the back of the prisoner. And so this is a squad, and then there's four of these squads, so... A 24-hour day is divided by four, so that would be six, right? Each squad took a shift of six hours. So there was 24-hour kind of coverage for protecting, um, uh, keeping Peter um, from escaping or being, uh, being uh, freed. Um, and you can imagine that this was on their mind because you remember earlier when Peter and John uh, were in prison, right? They, the last time the religious leaders found them is they were out of jail. They just had escaped prison. And so um, no doubt that Herod was making sure by chaining Peter to two guards and having two other guards that he was not going to escape. 
So basically, it's like Peter is Houdini, you know, like Houdini, all those escape artists, they say, see, here's the chain, see, here's the chain, here's two soldiers, Roman guards, this guy is not escaping prison. So Peter was thrown into prison, um, but we read in verse 5 um, that the church began to pray earnestly on behalf, pray to God earnestly on behalf of Peter. And I think this is the key verse uh, for me in, in this chapter, that the church is compelled to pray to God fervently in the midst of persecution, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of Peter's politically motivated incarceration. Remember, Herod is motivated politically to kill Peter uh, because he found favor with his base, right? We don't know anything about that, right? We have, Herod finds favor in his base because of his treatment of Christians. And so he does it more, he does it more uh, for political gain and to be liked. And in the midst of Peter's politically motivated incarceration and, and the injustice of that, the call of the church is to corporate prayer. And the call of the church today is still to corporate prayer, right? They met in the upper room. They met in secret because there was a persecution. And they continued to pray and pray and pray. Church, prayer is our secret weapon. Prayer is our weapon in difficult situations. Prayer is our weapon when we are suffering. Prayer is our weapon in impossible circumstances. Prayer is our weapon in confronting corruption and oppressive leadership. Prayer is our weapon in the midst of injustice. Prayer is our weapon when we're found in chains and we're bound, whether that's literally in prison, incarcerated in chains, or figuratively when we're chained by disease or we're chained by darkness or fear, the fear of failure, or we're paralyzed by our anxiety. Prayer is our weapon for freedom. When we're faced with the impossibility, there are authorities and great powers bigger than us that are threatening us or threatening our people or threatening the church. When there's great evil, the powers and principalities of the cosmos doing bad things to good people, right? When good people are suffering and it seems like the powerful, the corrupt, the rich, the loveless, the compassionless, compassionlessness of the world is winning and good people are losing its prayer that is our secret weapon. We call out to God. And the reason why it's a secret weapon is because we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is powerful. We know that God holds all things in his hands and that nations will fall, right? Thrones will topple. Great walls will crumble at the voice of the Lord. God is sovereign 
And we know and we have witnessed in Acts the power of the Holy Spirit moving and transforming and flourishing the church and the people of God in and protecting the people of God in the midst of persecution. And so the church here turns to prayer because Peter, the great apostle Peter, is in prison facing death. And James has just been executed. Our leaders, the disciples of Jesus, are being marked and they're falling one by one. And so they meet in the upper room and they pray. Church, we are called to pray. We are called to pray, not just to pray, you know, for this car or that car so we can be hashtag blessed. Right? But to pray for real, in the midst of real spiritual battle, in the midst of power conflicts in the world, uh, the forces of evil against the forces of good, to pray. And we see corporate prayer is important as well. Sometimes in the church, we see prayer as only something we do alone, right? In, our, in private, right? It's such a vulnerable thing. It's such a secret thing. I just do it by myself, pray in my closet. But the church comes together and prays together corporately. And we are called to prayer. So Herod throws Peter in jail. The church prays. Peter is chained to two guards while two other guards stand watch. He's on death row, right? It's the night before his execution. He is a long night away from facing death. But when we read the scriptures, it says that he's sleeping. While Peter is sleeping, an angel of the Lord comes, right? And you think, if you were on death row, if you're facing death, would you be sleeping? I'd be tossing and turning all night, unable to sleep. But Peter is able to sleep through everything. And this is a little bit funny. My question, a real question, because Luke, you know, is a doctor. Maybe he, he kind of diagnosed Peter. But I think Peter was narcoleptic. Did Peter struggle with bouts of sleeping in the middle of the day, just fall asleep? Because remember in the Gospels, during the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and Jesus and you know all this, this amazing stuff is happening as um, they're building these tents, these booths, Peter falls asleep, right? It's like in the middle of this amazing thing with Jesus, Peter falls asleep. Remember at Gethsemane, right? Jesus is praying and tells his disciples to be alert. The disciples, including Peter, fall asleep a couple of times. So Peter is used to falling asleep. He can sleep through anything, any alarm, right? Just any loudness, he'll sleep. And here on the eve of his death, in prison, chained to guards, Peter is soundly asleep, snoring away. <sighs> And an angel of the Lord shows up, and you know when angels show up, right? It's bright as heck, like the brightest lead light, the brightest, whitest hundred lumens, thousands of lumens, right? It's infinite lumens in the prison, and Peter still does not wake up. What does the scripture say? It says, suddenly, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone into the cell. 
Peter still does not wake up, so what? The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. <laughs> Quick! Get your butt up! Get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did. And, and Peter is like, you know, it's like when you wake up your kids for school and you're like, we got to go. And they're like half asleep trying to put on their shoes, trying to put on their socks. And it's just taking forever and you're getting frustrated. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And Peter's still dozing off, putting on his sandals, putting on his clothes and just kind of half conscious following um, this angel out of the prison and it says but he had no idea what the angel was doing or really what was ha happening at all in fact he thought he was seeing a vision he thought he was in a dream it was like what an awesome dream I'm going out of prison right and um, the angel ends up leading we're in verse 10 past the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city, it opened for them by itself. All of these miraculous things are happening. Chains are falling off. Gates are opening wide. And all the while, Peter is half asleep, <laughs> thinking he's in a dream. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then, finally, verse 11, Peter came to himself. Peter finally wakes up fully and he's like, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So it takes a bright light shining, an angel slapping him on the head, chains falling off of him walking past two sets of guards through the iron gates of a city onto a road, the road to freedom, before Peter finally comes to himself, is fully awakened to the miracle that just happened and says, I know now that the Lord has freed me, has sent his angel to rescue me. I've been clutched. I've been plucked from the hands of Herod's clutches. And from death, certain death, and delivered. It's only to verse 11 that Peter fully wakes up to this. And this is a metaphor or a parable for us. That even as we are praying, even as we're calling out and crying out to God, do we, are we really awake to how God is answering our prayers even now, right? Do we even believe that God is answering our prayers as we pray? Or do we pray um, just to go through the motions, just because, oh, it's something we've always done. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what we do in the church. That's what we do when we need something. We just pray. And maybe something will happen or maybe not. It's kind of like, what's the difference between praying and pulling on the lever of, you know, uh, a jackpot machine, you know, in a casino, right? Going through the motions. But really, are we anticipating in faith and trust 
that God can move in power and actually answer prayers, right? And it takes a while for Peter to wake up to the realization of this reality. And for us, we need to wake up! Sorry, maybe that was too loud. Wake up to freedom, amen? That's the title of this sermon. Wake up to freedom. It's one thing to pray. It's one thing to go through the motions of faithfulness. But it's another thing to receive the gifts and the miracles and the power of God that he's already bestowing upon us and live into the reality he's, he's established and is unveiling to us. To walk in that freedom. To walk as if we are healed. To walk as if we were blind, but now we see. To walk as if we were crippled, but now we can walk. To walk as if we were once imprisoned, but now we're free people. Amen? Walk in freedom. Wake up to freedom. And we see that even the people in the upper room in Mary's home that are praying are sleeping. They're incredulous. Right? Rode, Peter comes to the house. He's like, I'm going to go tell my peeps. He knocks on the door. He's knocking. He's knocking. And it says that Rhoda, which means Rose, recognizes Peter's voice. <laughs> but she doesn't open the door. Right? She recognizes Peter's voice and says, like, Hey, I think it's Peter. People, don't just say stuff. Open the door. Open the door of opportunity that God is knocking. Jesus is knocking on the door. And sometimes we're just like, ah! Open the door and let Jesus in. And secondly, as is common with the male disciples, when Jesus, in Jesus' resurrection narratives, it's the women who first witness Jesus, first see Jesus alive. And they're the first witnesses to the resurrection. They run to the disciples. They tell the disciples. But usually they're met with like, I want to see for myself. Right? Like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And here we see the same thing. Rhoda's like, Peter's at the door. What do they say in verse 15? You're out of your mind, woman. You're crazy. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They think she's crazy. And we need to listen to one another. We need to listen to the testimonies of one another and trust. Oftentimes we listen to... We hear the stories and the testimonies, or I'm hearing from God, or this is what God's doing in my life. And whether it be out of doubt or cynicism, or maybe even jealousy, we, we don't believe. We don't believe that person. There's a part of us that distrusts. We're cynical. Oh, that they're making it up, or they're out of their mind, or you know, they're over-spiritualizing. But we need to hear, listen to the witnesses of God's power around us because that helps us have faith. We encourage one another to have faith. So they initially say, oh, you're out of your mind. Or they're like, uh, it's just his angel. It's, it's not really him. 
right? And this is the irony. They've been praying that God would do something. And when God does something, they don't believe it or accept it or recognize it. And that goes more to the challenge for us to pray, but also wake up to what God is doing to answer those prayers. Do you believe God answers prayers and is answering our prayers right now? Amen. But Peter kept on knocking persistently and reminded of Jesus' word, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in. You gotta hear and you have to open the door, right? We can hear Jesus' voice and still keep the door closed. So Peter keeps knocking. We can pray for a miracle, but still not open our door when the miracle's right out the door, outside. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And here, in verse 17, we see mention of James, not, well, James, there was a James that was just executed at the top of this uh, chapter, but this is James, another James, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, the uh, son of Mary, the actual brother of Jesus. Um, and this James actually becomes basically like the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church, like the head of the Jerusalem church. So a pillar along with Peter was a pillar of the Jerusalem church. So J tell James and the other people in Jerusalem um, that I'm okay, that it's me, I'm all right. And so everyone is astonished and everyone celebrates and their pr the prayers of the church were answered. God answers prayers when we pray in earnest together corporately for freedom. God answers prayer. Um, the chapter ends um, with the guards. Um, they, they end up, uh, they wake up and they're like, what happened? Peter's escaped. Herod finds out. They look for Peter, can't be found. He executes the guards. Um, and then after that, Herod goes up to Caesarea and he's speaking, he's at a political rally and the scripture says that he does not, the people start to say, oh, look at Herod, they praise him. Herod, he's like, he's not a man, he's like a god. And then right after that, it says, Herod did not acknowledge or give credit to God. And so an angel struck him. It's the same word as the angel stri striking Peter to wake him up. It's the angel struck him and he fell dead. Um, and str that strike like has two different results, right? The angel striking Peter wakes him up, right? To what God is doing. The angel striking Herod takes his life, his judgment. And so God is gonna strike us, right? And it's all about how we receive the striking of God, right? Or is God striking us 
waking us up, right? And we acknowledge God, we give credit to God, we lean on God and receive what he has for us. Or when God strike us, do we reject and resist God, right? And choose death, amen? And so um, prayer is that, prayer is the act of leaning into God. When we pray earnestly, we're trusting God and we're, we're, our palms are open and we're wanting to receive from God and we're getting that. And sometimes circumstances in our lives strike us like the angel striking Peter and we're given the wake up call to pray. Um, or, you know, we resist. And so in all of this, this acts, we, we, we talked about stories of transformation and conversion of people, right? Some people like Saul and even Peter resisted. No, God, I'm not. And even the people who resisted God, when they're met by the power of God, turn their lives around. And some people like Herod, they never turn their lives around, right? They resist and they el they're elevated. They're elevating themselves um, to be God-like, right? As these people are elevating. So in the politics of Jesus, he said it himself, I am a rock, right? Either you're gonna fall on me and shatter, or I'm gonna fall on you and you'll be crushed and obliterated, right? Will we choose God or Caesar? Will we choose God or Herod? Will we choose God or Pharaoh? And, and here, the, the people of faith choose God over empire. And prayer is a secret weapon that tears down empires. Let's take some time um, to lift our prayers the prayers of the people. So in the comments, please um, write things. Um, I'll do a little, I'll tell you what, I'll do some guidance. So as we pray, I'll say like, let's pray for our city. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for this or that. And you, people just please just, you can add your prayers in the comments and we'll, we'll pray corporately, even though we're not physically together as a church, let's pray. God, hear our cries, hear our prayers today in the name of the Holy Spirit. God, we lift up our nation to you with very important election coming up and with so many news stories and stories of conflict and strife and disunity and um, just difference of opinion um, we, we place our country in your hands at this time. God, but we lift up children to you, our children to you, 
as uh, many are um, not able to go to school in person but are learning doing their best online or through homeschool or stay at home school many parents are having to stay at home um, and do extra do uh, extra work um, to tutor and educate their kids school their kids um, we just lift up our children to you as they're missing their playmates their friends God, now we lift up our our church to you. Renew church in Linwood. Um, as we've been in almost a time of waiting, a time of kind of pause, as we're figuring out what 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 are you doing, God? What are the next steps? When when can we meet again? Or when what are we supposed to be doing? And what's faithful? Being faithful in these times. I pray that you reveal to us what, what you've already been doing. Give us vision and, and purpose. Give us a sense of how you're moving. Lift up your prayers to, for renew. And God, we lift up these prayers to you, and we know that um, there are other things that we can be praying for. And so may we continue to go from this place in prayer, praying without ceasing um, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we lift these things up, um, trusting that you are listening and you are answering, and you are in the midst of answering. Help us to wake up to your spirit already moving among us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.